My name is Jared Gilroy. You're listening to the To The Point Podcast. Very welcome to the To The Point podcast with me, Kean McNicholas, brought to you by our official sponsors at Summer Sportswear, where you can now use code Kean10 to get 10% off all your Summer Sportswear products, and you can check them out on social media and, of course, the website. But on today's episode, I chat to one of the biggest sports broadcasters in the country. His name is Jur Gilroy. He is Managing Director of Off The Ball and he is the host of OTBAM. I chatted to Jur about all things GEA, sport, media, and of course, much, much more. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with Jur Gilroy. So I'll get on to my first question, Jur, um, and I'll put you on the spot straight away. How would you describe what it is you do? Uh, I have a job that has loads of different parts to it. One of the main parts is obviously presenter of OTBAM, which is the sports breakfast show from OTB Sports. But I also run the company, which is called uh, Off the Ball or OTB. And so um, that part of my job is being involved in the day-to-day running of the different sports platforms that we run, while also making sure that we're generating enough revenue to uh, hit our targets. So that's about audience, uh, growing the audience, growing the um, the revenue and making sure that those two things are aligned. So it's the business of the company that is my responsibility, while I also present the breakfast show in the mornings, Monday to Thursday, and then the radio show Friday evenings. Um, so it's busy, as you would expect, but it's varied too, which is great. And I just want to get on to the um, OTBA AM that you co-host with Don Sheehan. Uh, some days during the week I mean what's the sort of process putting into that show it's obviously an early start but you know digesting the games let's say from the night before how tough is that aspect um well it's watching sport for a living and talking shite so it's not tough but, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's always important to remind ourselves that um you know it's a, it is a privilege to work in this industry really that um you have to enjoy it and you have to love doing it otherwise it comes across and I think that's the most important thing that has always informed anything that I've thought about this is that like people, you're asking people to spend time with you. And so if you're asking somebody to spend time in your company and you sound bored or uninterested or you haven't done the work on something that they're already into and passionate about, then you're never going to have an audience. So um, that's not tough at all. Like uh, the process that goes into making the show work we have a lot of regulars. We have a lot of slots that we know are going to be there every day of the week. So Mondays, we have our performance rankings. On the Tuesday of a Gaelic football week, there'll be uh, power rankings. Um, Friday's the crappy quiz. So the building blocks of the show are kind of set up. And then after that, you're following the news agenda or you're trying to set the news agenda. If you think that you've got a guest who's going to be able to say something, that's going to become a talking point. Um, a good example of that might have been around... Um, Proposal B last year, when about a month out from special congress, we decided this hadn't been getting enough coverage. We decided we'd speak to absolutely everybody who had a view on it over the course of a month. And really, we, we brought the conversation from a standing start to it being the only thing the GA community was talking about in the build-up to it. 
it nearly, it nearly got over the line. It didn't in the end, but um, we certainly feel like we did our bit in having that conversation about what a progressive championship structure would look like. Um, yeah. So the process around that was just us sitting in the room and saying, this is going to be a big story. We need to cover it. Okay. And let's say, talk me through a day in the life for yourself. Uh, what's it like in, in OTBHQ? What time do you get in? What time do you leave? Um, I'm generally here around a quarter to seven in the mornings and we have our show editorial at five past seven. Show goes live at 7.30. We're off air 9.45. We have a post-show debrief when we decide what aspects of the show are going to be clipped up and pushed out across social to try and get people to tune in live tomorrow, but also to make sure that if they've missed anything, they feel like catch up on our on-demand service, which is generally podcasts or YouTube. Mm. Um, and then the rest of the day is a series of meetings with the commercial team or um, with the management team or just to see what's, what's happening and what the longer-term plans are. So the, the day-to-day stuff, obviously, is what the sports news agenda is and making sure that you're over that is kind of a constant always on thing. Like you're, you're always checking news sources to make sure that if something breaks, you're prepared to be able to talk about it or you've got um, contacts you can speak to who can bring you up to speed on what's going on. Um, and then I would finish up generally around four-ish, ideally. Sure, take me back to the start of your career. Um, I read an article that you've done that you were crazy interested in journalism at age 15, a bit like myself. Uh, you started writing for your local paper and whatnot. I mean, where was the first real attraction for journalism? Um, I'm fairly sure it, it comes from the atmosphere and environment that I grew up in. Like we, we had the radio on all day. Um, and it wasn't music radio, it was speech radio. Uh, Sundays was spent reading the Sunday papers and like we would have got all the Sunday papers um, you know, so I came into a house where the done thing was to read the papers so we got two papers every day I think probably until the first recession and then just the Irish Times for a while and obviously we would have got the local paper every week as well so on a Thursday for the first 10-12 years of my life there would have been the Times, the Indo and the Kildare Nationalist and I would have read them all um, eventually from cover to cover I would have started out with sports and then migrated across. Um, it would have been culture first and then finally would have started reading the news as I got older. But like I, I do have a very strong memory of, of being at a match and broker and my dad saying, this is the press box. We were sitting behind it, all those people in that press box. And it would have all been men universally at that stage. Um, and it would have been a very small crew because there would have been like four or five national newspapers. who would have had one correspondent, maybe, um and local radio maybe would have been there and uh there might have been one person from the national broadcaster at that stage so it was a small crew but uh i don't know if a penny dropped immediately but certainly the opportunity to work in that was something that then became fairly obvious afterwards um coming out of college though i could have worked in i could have i felt like i could have worked in any aspect of journalism it wasn't it was just that I got into sport the easiest and the quickest because I had done a bit of sport in college, but I'd done arts, arts journalism college as well. I was genuinely very interested in, in that. Um, but a few early breaks while I was in college got me jobs in sport and those jobs in sport led to other jobs in sport. And, and it kind of, it went from there. Obviously I was most interested in sports. I would have been very keen on following that too. So, Was it more of a radio interest from obviously 
your younger days to go into maybe radio and sport, the broadcasting side of things, or was maybe a print uh, from obviously your time writing for the local newspaper? Um, I think I was fairly agnostic when it came to making a decision about stuff like that, but it was clearly, well, I don't know if it was clearly, but certainly there were more opportunities in uh, in broadcasting for me early. Um, and it was certainly more enjoyable. Like it was very noticeable to me that um, when the radio was over, it was over. And the match was over, the print guys had to go to work. And um, like the, the liveness was something that you didn't get in print. So, and frequently when you're, when you're starting out, that's a disaster because the, the reporter will come to you, you can't hear what they're saying and you've missed your slots and the sports bulletin's over, you don't get to, you don't get to do it again. Whereas in print, like, you know, you have time to fix your copy and, um, and you get it back to the copy taker as it might have been um, in the, the late 90s when I was starting out. Hmm. But there was definitely an adrenaline around broadcasting that I didn't get from print. And, uh, and, you know, anytime I write still to this day, I have this kind of, it's a difficult experience, you know, you, you're like, is that, is that the correct way of phrasing this? Whereas actually, I love about broadcasting is that it's gone, it's disposable, it's over, it's finished. I mean, it's, you can go back and edit stuff, you can, you can rebroadcast, but in the live environment, you can't. And um, there's a joy to that. There's a... a nervous energy and attention to that that you get it right once you don't get it right at all yeah that was certainly i i found more alluring than wrestling with printed stuff because you know you can always you can always fix you can always do better with print and how did you find your time in uh, satanta.com that was your first full-time job in um, the media world as of such how did you find that whole it was kind of new at the time the whole online website how did you find it uh, it was amazing, really. Myself and a guy called Connor Woods were the first two employees, and like Connor's gone on to have a, a brilliant career in television administration down in Australia. Um, uh, it was incredibly exciting because we were able to build processes and uh, style guides and um, ways of working that were way too mental. Have been like we were both Connor had been sub editing in the Sunday Business Post for a while, and um, I had kind of done bits and pieces with uh, sports radio reporting and sports bulletin reading. And then this came along, and there were a few other people doing it, but not many. And so uh, it was an opportunity for us to we did live radio streams, which you know, before that was even really a thing. And I'm sure the audience was almost zero for it. Um, we did some video, like very early internet video. Like we're talking the year 2000 here. And, um, you know, just the, the freedom to be creative was fairly immense. Uh, now, as a business, it probably wasn't ever going to succeed the way um, it might have done if it had been around at a different time because I'm fairly sure we started the week the Nasdaq crashed from the first tech bubble uh, yes, bursting. So. Um, so that that kind of meant that there was a failure baked into what was achievable 
at that stage. But that's not to say it wasn't the right thing. You know, it was definitely it was definitely a punt worth taking from the owner's perspective. Yeah, and you, and you set up off the ball in two thousand and two. Did you get the idea? Did you get that kind of vision from your time in Satanta? I think that the sensibility of having people have conversations about stuff was informed by other things that were successful at the time as much as anything. So um, Eamon Dunphy was doing the last word and the last word on sports was the only sports conversation show that wasn't a phone-in show and that was only half an hour on a Monday and half an hour on a Friday, maybe an hour on Friday and half an hour on a Monday. Um, so we wanted to bring that current affairs sensibility, like where you're actually asking questions about stories and following stories over a long period of time, as opposed to just going last night, Man United did this tomorrow night, Man United are going to do that. Uh, we wanted to get into like how the money in the game was, was influencing the game and how uh, drugs and sport was an important story worth covering. Um, um, and to be honest, the, the kind of attitudes came as much from people I was hanging around with and also the Guardian had this daily email that came out at five o'clock every day called the Fiverr which was snarky and funny about football and I was like that's the type of thing that we should be doing we should be snarky and funny about stuff and having fun that like this is not important this is go crack this is entertainment this is a distraction people really care about it so work really hard know your stuff um and make sure that it's fun. Yeah. And how did you start laying the building blocks to launch this idea, to bring it into fruition? Who did you pitch the idea to? Well, it, that's um, the connection with Satanta was really important because uh, they were shareholders in Newstalk at the time and they had agreed to provide the sports content and they hired me to do that. And so there was no pitching. There was like... Um, you're going to have two hours every night from seven to nine and you're going to have weekends and you're going to have responsibility for sports bulletins every hour. And here's your budget. Off you go. Um, so that was it. So it was like, a, and the other thing that really, really worked in our favor was that when the radio station launched as a whole, it was really struggling. It was, uh, it was new. It was difficult. It was expensive. The audience didn't come straight away. And so the main schedule was, the main focus we were outside that and there's this tradition in, in radio which persists to this day that the audiences that matter are 7 a.m to 7 p.m it's called prime time mm. and we were outside of prime time so no one really cared what we were doing but by the time they started to pay attention we'd become successful and that was a couple of years in um by that stage we'd already you know it was a weekend foreign affairs show which was the first product at the station to win and Imro, as they're called now, PPI as it was then, but we were the second. And so I think that was 2003, we won our first award. Um, and by that stage, no one was going to come in and tell us what to do because we were being successful and the rest of the station was kind of catching up. Um, and we won our time slots. We were the first one that was successful. So you get a lot of freedom when you get success. Yeah, and what, what kind of format was the show? Was it an hour show, two hour show? It was two hours. Um, it was two hours from the start and then... Um, I don't think it went three hours until second year. It was a comedy hour between nine and 10 and we were coming off air when matches weren't finished. So um, I think we got a bit of extra budget and got some more full-time staff and uh, were able to get that extra hour. Um, and 
the format was like very similar to the last word on sport. It was guests, interviews. Uh, we didn't quite get the more people, the more zoo format that it has um, until around 2004, I think, um, when we got more bodies in studio and started having more conversational um, bits every night. Up until that point, it was kind of on a case-by-case basis. Um, but, yeah, the, it was it was very straightforward. You know, I, I don't think it was yeah. particularly... Um, I don't know if the format was evolution, really. It was just that there was uh, people on the radio talking about sport all the time, which, which hadn't happened to that point. There was nothing every day. Something there was new. Something, yeah, exactly. And, and there was a pent-up demand for it because, I mean, it, it's there in every country in the world. Exactly, yeah. If you look across the waters, talk sport. Why not one here in Ireland? Um, just talk me through the digitalization of Off the Ball. Because essentially now with Off The Ball AM, you're presenting a radio show as a TV show. And you're doing that across all platforms. It's live on YouTube, live on Twitter. And you can also listen to it, obviously, on the radio in the evenings. When did that idea come about? I guess I guess the, uh, the point you made about TalkSport was always something that um, we would have felt that there was more demand and more opportunity out there. But that uh, the... It, so I, I, I don't know if everybody understands how FM works, but there's only a set number of licenses. There's a set number of frequencies, there's a set number of licenses, and you can't just start a new radio station that goes out on the FM dial and that people can get in their cars um, or in their, their homes easily. You have to apply for a license or acquire a license, and that's really expensive and it's risky. And so, you know, we, we hoped that at some stage a sports license would, would be issued, but it was... There was never any sign of it. And to be honest, it, I suspect that it might never happen. Um, but there was clearly a demand for more sports content and the delivery mechanisms were becoming easier, more sustainable, uh, cheaper to access. Like um, Facebook video was exploding. Uh, Facebook Live was this massive thing that everybody thought was going to change the way we consume our media and in some respects it did like the, the it's just that YouTube won the war um, uh, specifically uh, a bunch of different things happened uh, a new chief executive came in and said I'm really ambitious for your brand it's great what can you do with it and we said well we've got these plans the fact that the plans have kind of been in gestation for a long time so it was uh, opportunity it was investments and the personnel were around who were able to activate those plans and kind of bring them to fruition. Um, so it, it wasn't one single thing. Like, you know, we, we tell the story about the, we sold out the three arena for the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal against Argentina and how this was kind of inspirational. But we had already, we already had plans before that happened. That was just kind of a, people will queue in the rain for a couple of hours to watch this show. It's not a radio show anymore. It must be something bigger. There's not going to be an FM product. So what is the product? Well, it's on people's phones. Um, you know, at that stage, again, the whole idea of social video was only, I mean, it, it, it absolutely existed, but it, it, people weren't sure what was going to be the long-term application for it. And 
so in 2017, we started streaming on uh, three or four separate platforms simultaneously. And to be honest, like not many people were doing it at that stage. Everybody does it now, but like we were definitely the first. Uh, and I don't mean the first in Ireland, like there was, you know, it was a big risk. It was a big investment. And uh, we took the opportunity and the brand has grown massively ever since. Yeah. So you feel that was real stepping stone into what the brand is it today? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the, the other thing is that, um, just trying to phrase this right, like sometimes there's a, there's a confusion between the brand and the platforms. Like our brand is good quality sports content, like really high end, good quality sports content uh, in different formats. Sometimes it's just pure crap, like the crappy quiz. Sometimes it's like a proper in-depth analysis with the Brian O'Driscolls of the world. And then sometimes it's sports feature interviews that you didn't know you needed to hear, yeah. but actually is sensational content. Like we, we've got the, the Boston Marathon piece with Catherine Switzer's sensational piece of, of radio that repeats on uh, OTB Sports Radio a good bit. But we do all those and that's our brand the platforms are just us accessing the audience and making sure that the audience has access to our content whenever they want us um so uh the, these two things are symbiotic and they can't they can't reach as many people as possible without you know they're, they're utterly reliant on each other um and, uh, like you know we, we haven't cracked tiktok yet but we will and uh, whatever comes after that we'll crack that too you know yeah and I think it's one thing that when people think of off the ball, they think of digital media, they think of YouTube clips, they think of social media clips. Was that the real aim when you, when you kind of set out, uh, this is not just a radio show anymore, this is going to be on your YouTube, this is going to be on your phone, it's going to be everywhere? Um, I think our real aim was to make sure that we were going to be able to sustain creating more content. Um, and so... They were, they were the vehicles for us to do that. Like we want to make more good quality sports content. We need to make sure that it finds an audience because there's no point in creating the content if it doesn't have an audience. Yeah. It's the point you made before we came on air that like if you want to be a journalist today, you need to do a bit of everything. And that's 100% correct. You, you have to be able to make video. You have to be able to make audio because your audience now is so sophisticated that some of them will only ever be interested in watching you on YouTube. And some of them will only ever be interested in listening to you as a podcast. And they could be completely different audiences, completely different demographics, or they could be the same demographic and they just have different tastes. And if you're not creating content that is deliverable in both those separate ways, you're going to lose a huge portion of your audience. The thing is, you don't know what size that audience is until you actually build it out. So a lot of guesswork about where the audience was happened at the start and we would have given equal uh, waiting to our Facebook video, our YouTube video, our Twitter video. And in the end, um, YouTube proved to be far more important for long-term, long-form video and uh, Twitter for short-form video and Facebook for video hardly at all. But we didn't know that at the time. So our aim was just to continue to create really top quality content and find an audience for us, as opposed to we want to be this thing at the end. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that we didn't start out with a very clear end goal. We started out with a very clear process to get us to wherever the end would take us so that we could adapt to whatever the information was. And it's it's nearly 
20 years in fruition now. I mean, I'm going to throw in a curveball here. What's been the highlight? It's a good question. I suppose uh, the first few Jane Lore books that came out and were like, oh, there's an audience here that's bigger than anybody else's. Um, that's that's great, right? Um, and the, the validation of the awards down the years at different stages really mattered as well. Like, um, the first one was hugely important because it was like, a, oh, this is a real thing. And then I guess um, the first one after uh, we went digital was really important because that was hugely important um, to just get that stamp that actually nothing has changed in terms of the quality of the output or the expectation of the audience. Um, but I guess, I guess the highlight is definitely, I did an interview with um, Lance Armstrong and another one with Colin McCarran in the space of a couple of months. Where was that one? Um, and uh, they were good, you know, they were like, they were, they both required different, huge amounts of work and concentration. And um, because you really went, went in, in to a lot of detail in those interviews. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, like when, when you're following a story and, and you get to a point in the story where you feel like you've, you've done the work mm-hmm. to be able to bring that to a point where, where it has an impact, yeah. I think uh, that matters. Yeah, and I just want to get on to a bit of a bit of football. Uh, <laughs> you're you're a strong point. I mean, reflecting on the weekend's action, Mayo, Dublin, Kerry. What's been your reaction to it all? Um, I think you guys must be pretty happy about life, right? Uh, exactly. With the the exception of the um, injury to Tommy Conroy, it's like I don't really remember a scenario where it's as positive for Mayo as it has been. Uh, really good strength and depth. No, none of the bullshit around the camp. I mean, obviously you guys probably are hearing lots more bullshit than we are, but it hasn't, uh, hasn't filtered out as much. Um, Being contained. Yeah, exactly. So, and how, why is that, you know? Because maybe everybody's rowing together and now I think the, the potential sporting tragedy from a Mayo perspective is that they came up against the greatest Dublin team of all time and this Kerry team are shaping up to be super in just the fact that they have two generational talents coming through at the same time in Clifford and O'Shea like I, I do think that ultimately well Clifford is going to get all the high, highlight reels and the headlines and will be the heaviest scoring forward that we've ever seen in football history mm-hmm. Sean O'Shea might be the most important um, so uh, I'm not saying it's now or never but, uh, you know, it's very, very, very important year from Mayo's perspective. I think the Dubs are going to be a semi-finalist team this year and next year. And I think a lot will depend on how, how Conor Callahan comes back from his injuries. And his form last year was good, not great. He wasn't as devastating uh, last year as he has been in the past. Um, I, I think the Dubs will get their numbers right, that the, the players coming through will find a style of play and that they will be back being a team who competes and wins all Ireland's, you know, uh, two out of every three years by the weight of numbers eventually. I don't know how long it's going to be before they reassert that, but um, it doesn't make sense to me that they'll be gone for too long. So 
another reason why it's now or never for Mayo. Exactly. Do you feel that Desi Farrow is gone at this stage if Dublin seem to go down to Division Two? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think that matters. I think that like um, you know, Mayo had a season in Division Two and it made not a blind bit of difference to them beyond actually giving them a bit of uh, opportunity to bring through new young players and give them confidence of playing in a winning team. Like if Dublin, if this Dublin team were in Division Two at the moment, they'd have won three out of five games or three out of four games, and they'd feel relatively okay about stuff. But because they're in Division One and the quality of opposition is really strong. They're losing matches, and that's damaging for the confidence of young players as they come through. I don't feel like that team is a bad team. I feel like that's a team that is uh, working its way through certain um, stylistic iterations and developments, and it doesn't know who the best personnel are. They've tried fifty odd players. They're going to be fine. Mm. Like they they will be. They're they're already seeing good quality players emerge. They've got a new cornerback who's excellent. Uh, I suspect that. Um, Evan Comerford's kick out will improve by the time the championship comes around. They'll have a much more regimented style of play when they decide who the 18 to 22 players they want to play week in, week out are. And at the moment, they're cycling through those. So relegation, I think, is largely irrelevant. And, and maybe Desi Farrell needs to say that, you know, take a bit of pressure off the team. Yeah. Um, but like, he's in the same cycle that the dubs were in with Pat Gilroy, you know, like, and everybody raves about Gilroy's long-term legacy. So, the story's not written yet on Desi. Okay. Um, if you were to put on a bet on it, who's going to be all Ireland champion come July, isn't it? Kerry. Kerry are the favourites. Kerry, Kerry are short price favourites at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think anybody would have backed Tyrone right up until the penalty miss last year. You know, they weren't favourites, I think, until that stage. But, um, I think you've got to assume that Kerry have put together a coaching ticket designed to fix the problems of previous seasons. Um, and uh, I, I just can't see beyond them. Like it, it's Mayo's time. If, if it's going to happen for them, they really need to get it over the line this year. It'll be very important to see Gillian play some football over the next while and see that he's back at the level he was always at. And that his free taking is back at the level was always at, so that they have him and Henley, and it's like a perfect combination. Um, and that would give Odonoghue a bit of freedom, I think. But uh, carry the favourites if I was to make a bet. But I think Mayo at six or eight to one are a good bet. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Um, I want to get on to a quick fire round. Um, I'll start off with who is your favourite broadcaster or journalist? Um, oh. I was really like Alex Thompson of Channel 4 News. I love Jon Snow of Channel 4 News. Um, after that, I don't know, like, yeah, that's it. What about the sports side of things? Well, the sports side of things, um, I love Eddie Butler's commentaries. Um, I would miss Broadley from yeah. the GA analysis. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of American football. I, I really like the Tony Romo stuff. Um I don't know, football co-coms, that's tricky. Uh, well, Tommy Walsh, obviously, just a, a sensation. Um, James Scales' analysis is class. Um, yeah, so that's that's not a bad list. What's your favourite pastime? Uh, I mean, I, I got sucked into uh, Wordle. And, <laughs> and I spent the 25 quid to... Um, 
subscribe to their games. So now I'm doing Spelling Bee every day and it's, oh it's killing me. So I don't know if it's favourite or if I'm just addicted to it. <laughs> A bit of both. Um, tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. What type? Double espresso. Ooh, it's a hard-hitting one. Uh, what's your biggest advice to young broadcasters and journalists like myself? Do what you're doing. Get the experience. Spend the hard yards. There's no shortcut to it. Be prepared for many setbacks. Be prepared to get cut. Like, you, you will fail. Like, the, 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 the jockeys are the best um, people you can model yourself on because they lose 90% of the time if they're having a really good career. And they lose 99% of the time if they're having a bad career. But in journalism, it's like constantly getting knockbacks. You know, no, sorry, I won't answer your questions or no, you can't have this job or no, you can't go to this event. But you've got to keep going because eventually something will fall for you. Um, and just make sure you understand the technicalities of the profession as much as you possibly can. So what is your route to audience? And uh, is there going to be revenue in this? I know it's, it's difficult to think about these things, but if there's no audience, then whatever company I'm working for, if I'm working for myself, I'm not going to be able to make any money from it. Yeah, bang on. Uh, what's your favorite TV series? It's The Sopranos, The Wire. I do like Friday Night Lights. Uh, mm. As Bubblegum TV, that was as good as it got. <laughs> and currently, um, I mean, Shit's Creek is finished. Does that count as currently? Sex yeah. education Three class. Summers. Yeah, okay. that's about it. Uh, what has been the single highlight of your career? I guess. This the fact that we're going to hit our 20th anniversary next month of off the ball. Yeah. Like I haven't really stopped to think about it too much, but you can't but deny that it has become a cultural phenomenon and it has spawned the careers of some brilliant broadcasters, um, many of whom have left uh, and some of whom are still here. So like being in any way involved in that is the highlight. Yeah. If you were to have any five Dinner guests, dead or alive, who would they be? Jesus, five is a lot. Um, I don't know. I all those dinners where you're like trying, uh, like, who would you who would you most like to speak to? Have a uh, conversation like or dinner with. I'd love to talk to um, Nelson Mandela, right? But yeah. like, I don't want to be a pain in the hole at dinner. We're having dinner, like. I, <laughs> Can you imagine how much of pain in the hole it is? Mandela sitting down having a nice dinner, and you're like, oh, oh, tell me about, tell me about, what about, tell me about this. No, thank you. So, um, like, your mates having beers, uh, talking about what you want to talk about is is definitely better for me than, like, you know, um, like, so you say Roy Keane, two questions in, he's he's like, you put down the knife and fork, and he's looking at you. Shut up. (laughs) exactly exactly um last question describe yourself in three words oh jesus um never bloody happy (laughs) 